Foundation Physiotherapy and Ballistic Sports presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Follow Ballistic on Twitter at Ballistic underscore sports. This week, Frank Catalanato talks about the ever-shifting nature of the game of baseball. My thought would be, all right, there's four guys on the right side of the infield. Uh, I'm not going to get it by them. Why not just try to hit the ball the other way? I, I don't know why the game has changed so much like that. And here's another guy who often fell victim to the shift when he was batting. Of course, the shift for him involved popcorn for about half the fielders, and the rest of everybody hung out in the infield. Here's Barry Davis. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I would like to come back at you and say, how dare you say that about me, Tom Forth? But I, I think it's pretty accurate. So, you know. And uh, speaking <laughs> of my baseball playing ability, uh, one of our coaches from Fantasy Camp will join us Frank Catalanato I didn't have him as a coach he coached against me but yeah we're going to talk to Frank on the show this week uh, about what he's been doing since baseball what he thinks of baseball today and honestly Tom the best questions always now come from our OTP insiders and we had four of them on with Frank yep yeah they do and and what a great conversation yeah. this week uh, lots of stuff to dive into a lot of fun you know everything Everything from Blue Jays to Team Italy to, to New York Pizza. Yes, exactly. Great conversation coming up with Frank <laughs> Catalanato. Uh, we will have asked Barry Davis because I think I sent you a question that someone's asked. Yeah. Yep, we do. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, uh, no poll this week. We dropped the poll once again. I don't know why. Uh, we will hear from Raj Sapaya, who's going to talk to us about a Toronto Maple Leaf. And uh, by the way, uh, we are now going to try doing the full video for the whole show. So... Those of you watching, fingers crossed the whole show. Yeah, let's hope the technology works in our favor, right? So all that coming up (laughs) over the next little while. Uh, Up next, uh, I'll pay tribute to uh, a couple of people who uh, we've lost over the last week. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. This is Out of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And the first pitch is brought to you by Ballistic Sports. Go to BallisticSports.com. And now that we uh, are doing video of this, Tom, I- I'm going to let you explain a little bit about what the game is while I, I go for a prop here, okay? All, All right. right, absolutely. So Ballistic Sports is the first ever interactive sport game. Uh, it's designed to actually sort of enhance your, your, your playing experience, right? So you play it alongside as you're watching the baseball And look what I've got in front of me right now. Oh, my God. We got a board. Right? I've got the board right there. There we go. And you haven't been to my house in ages, so you haven't seen this, Tom. Yeah. But uh, No, I have not. There's the cool board right there. I'm going to try to hold it steady. I can't actually see. Is it, is it filling my screen? Yeah, that's pretty yeah, good. Th- yeah, not yeah, bad, that's eh? great. So uh, BallisticSports.com. They've got one of these for baseball, for NFL, and hockey. The NHL. Yep. So, yeah, go. a lot of fun playing along at home, and uh, hopefully these games uh, – will be coming to you sooner rather than later. Um, I'm going to divert a little bit away from the world of baseball for a little bit uh, because this past week and what's just been seems, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older, Tom, but it just seems week after week, day after day, uh, I'm hearing about somebody who's passed away, uh, somebody I either knew very well or someone I may have met once or twice. And first of all, Walter Gretzky, uh, God bless him, 82 years old, uh, the king of all fathers. Absolutely the king of all fathers. Uh, I showed a picture on social media, and and just to to share the story behind the picture, 
in this picture, and for those of you watching, it's, uh, you'll see it up here on the screen. It's Walter Gretzky with myself, my wife, and my son, who was maybe, you know, maybe five or six at the time. And we went down to a Blue Jays game, and because I, of my job, I had passes. I wasn't working that day, but I brought the family down. And we're watching BP on the field, and we see Walter there. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go say hi to Walter. So we went and chatted with him for a little bit. And um, I said, would you mind getting, you know, posing for a picture with, with me and, and me and my son, right? He goes, yeah, no problem at all. So my wife was about to take the picture, and he goes, hang on a second. Are you with them? And she goes, yeah, I'm his wife. He goes, you need to be in this picture too. He said, he calls over to some, excuse me, sir, can you just, uh, yeah, can you take a picture of this family with me? And he looked at us and said, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photos at home. Some are of me and Wayne, some are of, you know, his mom and him, and some are of, uh, and he goes, we don't have any pictures with everybody in it. So whenever I have the opportunity to actually capture a full family in a picture, I want to do that. And I thought that was just a nice thing. Now, of course, this day and age, everyone does the selfies so they can do it. But back in the day before cell phones, Tom, we didn't have that ability to go and, uh, and take selfies. Yep, exactly. And you know what? It speaks to every story I've ever heard about this this gentleman has been that unbelievably warm. I, I, I think, you know, he's, he's kind of being eulogized as the ultimate Canadian hockey dad. And uh, every story I've ever heard about him, it's, it's just a kind man trying to treat people around him uh, well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, what an amazing life, what an amazing legacy that, that, you know, he has, not just through his son, but just through how kind and, and how wonderful he was to everybody he touched mm -hmm. for the years he was here. Quite a few years ago when, when Wayne's mom died, I, and I probably told this story too, but to, at Sportsnet, I was assigned the job of covering his mom's funeral. And at the time, um, we felt like trash because Wayne's mom was never in the spotlight. She was never someone that really wanted any attention. And this was all about because it was Wayne's mom. And it felt very intrusive, and I, I did not like the fact that there were so much members of the media there, including myself. Now, at Walter's funeral, this thing was broadcast on TV. Wayne went up and did a speech. But that was a totally different thing because this was a tribute to Walter, who everyone knew, who was all over the media, who deserves a send-off like that because he was a very public person. And I thought it was very, very classy the way it was done. Uh, it was tough to watch Wayne's speech, especially when he broke down. Uh, but, you know, what, what an incredible father. What, I mean, to have, you know, the legacy that he has, man, oh, man. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, again, it's sad to see him pass. Uh, what a wonderful life he had, though. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the other one, uh, wow, this one. I didn't see coming. It really shocked shocked me, and I'm still pretty stunned. Uh, Chris Schultz, who uh, I had a chance to work with uh, starting back around 93, 94, he started coming into the fan and did uh, a show called Football Sunday with Mike Hogan. And I produced that every Sunday. And the first thing I remember about Chris Schultz was he was huge, right? Like I could literally walk underneath his legs while he was standing up. But he was the <laughs> kindest, most gentle human being, other than his handshake. He had, he had a pretty powerful handshake. But just the, the sweetest man in the world. And how sad and ironic that a man who's known for his heart 
ends up passing away because his stopped working. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know what? Again, it's someone leaving another great legacy. It's someone that you're hearing, you know, everybody that's speaking about him is talking about those things like authenticity, mm -hmm. about, you know, his giving spirit, about, you know, anybody that's involved in the CFL. There's got to be a little bit of passion. There's got to be a little bit of heart in, in there because it's not, you know, they're not chasing the bucks. Mm -hmm. No. And, and, you know, he, yeah, he lived his passion and, and, you know, another voice that'll be missed. I'm not even a big football fan. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a huge football mm -hmm. fan, but I'd, I could listen to him talk about football just because he was able to bring his experience, his knowledge of the game and, and the fact that he was there. And he also was able to break it down. So it wasn't you weren't he wasn't talking over the heads of people that maybe didn't know football as well. Right. And again, mm -hmm. use the word authenticity and that that's just another sign of it. That's just, you know, a really, really good person. So, yeah, a real tough yeah. week. Uh, two really, really incredible people uh, leaving this earth. So uh, not great. All right. Uh, let's change our focus now and talk a little bit about the Toronto Blue Jays. Spring training is underway. Hoo ha. Great to see. No, never mind. Great listening. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you've got Emma. It's great hearing this, the up, or it's great reading the updates on Twitter. How is Mike Wilner seeing these games? Yeah. Like, is there some special private feed that only the, the newspaper writers can get or something? Or is he just watching it on MLB.com, like just following game, you know, game day, like all of us are. But I saw him comment on a play and says, you know, somebody ranged to the right to me and like, okay. How is he seeing this? How does he know this? Well, no, other teams are broadcast. Yeah, but I don't think today was today's game broadcast by another team. Or sorry, to say uh, today I'm sure. talking about Saturday's game against the Phillies. Well, maybe it yeah, was. Yeah. God, I, I mean, anyway, I went through that whole. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure a classy organization like the Phillies yeah. would be broadcasting their their spring training. Well, again, I think the Blue Jays wanted to. The Blue Jays want their games on TV, and they want their games on radio. They want as much. Right. Yes. They want as much. That's an excellent, um, excellent point. An excellent yeah. distinction. Um, I find it's going to be kind of tough knowing that, you know, you keep hearing about teams that are going to allow a certain percentage of fans in. Most teams are going to have people in the seats this year. And the mm -hmm. Jays, you know, they'll have people in the seats, too, but they just won't be Toronto Blue Jay fans that live in Toronto. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and yep. when you think of the numbers that they were, are allowing in some of these ballparks. I mean, that that was the total amount you'd get at a Jays game last year. So it wouldn't look abnormal. I don't think the Tampa Bay Rays can draw as many fans as they're allowed to have in. Think about that. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, if they're letting more than 10 people in, Barry. Well, that's the thing, right? <laughs> but, mm. uh, again, it, because of... People are going to be listening to this at different times. We're not going to go into, you know, how the team has done, their record, or a lot of specifics, other than the fact mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, a couple of days into camp and Nate Pearson now is suffering from a groin injury. To me, this mm -hmm. guy is a huge part of your future. If we were in September and the Blue Jays were in a pennant race, it would be like, get this guy back on the field as fast as possible. Right now... If he has to miss the start of the season, then he has to miss the start of the season. I'm not rushing this guy. You've got a groin injury. You're a pitcher. Your groin is a huge part of what you need 
to throw a baseball. Yeah. Yep. Um, am I the only one? I might be the only one that thinks this, but um, for me, I would far, I'd be far more comfortable um, with a track record of durability over the night. Like I'd take a couple miles off the, the fastball if he had pitched another hundred innings in the majors mm-hmm. over the last year or yeah. two. Right. Um, that's, that's what concerns me. I'm, I'm heck if you're going to get injured <laughs> better now than in the season. Oh yeah. 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 But this is the time, but, you know? Yeah. Like it, it, it definitely draws some pretty stark spotlights right off the bat on the, the whole pitching thing. And, you know, they're one, two or Nate Pearson and, and Yunjin Ryu and neither of whom are known for their durability. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Matt Shoemaker and, is, uh, you know, off to a decent start in his spring training. There are, yeah, there, there are a number of guys out there that the Jays could have, you know, tried to pick up. Oder Izzy just went to, just went yeah, to Houston. And that is the, the last of the big name free agents out there. So yeah. if the Jays are indeed still looking at improving their starting pitching, they're going to have to do it a different way. They're going to have to make a trade. And it wouldn't surprise yep. me. Again, they have, they have a, a, a very big farm system and, And and speaking of that farm system, uh, just a little teaser uh, that on next week's show, Uh, we'll be talking to former Toronto Blue Jay GM Alex Anthopoulos, who uh, has some very enlightening things to say about what he left behind, why he left it behind. And, uh, well, I'll I'll leave the rest for for, for all of you to listen to because it's uh, it's it's very eye opening, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it is. I mean, it's also hard to to, you know, the the one slag that people have against him is that he emptied the cupboards, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to give anything away about that, but I, I will point to the fact that Atlanta, who he's been with since 2018, has the fifth ranked farm system in the MLB. Mm-hmm. So you know what? It's it's all and and that's not slagging Shapiro and Atkins no. at all because our farm system is high is, is actually ranked higher than theirs. But, you know, he put together an absolutely amazing system mm-hmm. very quickly in Atlanta. Yep. And, and you know, to see people slag him for that in, in Toronto. Well, again, catch the interview. It's, it's, it's a pretty cool take. Yes, it is. Uh, so is today's conversation coming up with Frank Catalanato, Asbury Davis in a moment. But first of all, uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little hockey with Raj Tapia. There's Tom Monberry. You're listening to Out of the Park. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. And we are joined by our good pal, Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. Uh, Of course, I like to refer to it now as four locations. The core, the downtown on Front Street, the, oh God. East End. East End, End. yes. Financial District, City Place, East End. Okay, and the Zoom. And virtual everywhere. Yes. How is that? How, how do you like doing the Zoom appointments? Um, I don't mind it. I mean, I think there's a lot that can be done over Zoom. I think there's a great combination of, of uh, sometimes I've seen the person in, in, in clinic because there's a few things I have to do hands-on. But there's a lot of things that are teaching people exercises, teaching people body mechanics, just people just talking and educating people. A lot of it can be done over Zoom as well. Well, Raj, this week I want to talk a little bit about something that Austin Matthews has been dealing with. And, I mean – Let's face it, it doesn't seem to have had a, a real negative effect on his game. But Sheldon Keefe, the coach of the Maple Leafs, said this past week 
that Austin has been dealing with a wrist injury virtually all season long. Now, without knowing the exact specifics about this wrist injury, does it surprise you that someone can be dealing with something like a wrist injury in hockey and still have the success that he's been having? Because you'd have to think that's a pretty vital part of handling the puck and the stick. Oh, 100%. So he's probably got some great therapists on his team, right? Um, so obviously, you know, a lot of your power is going to come come from your wrist. Uh, Austin's probably, if he's still playing, he's probably, you know, going through something called like a repetitive strain injury where it's just a lot, you know, a lot of reps of that same movement is going to create strain through the tissues in the front of the wrist or maybe the back of the wrist, depending on, on where the injury is. Uh, there's probably a few things they're doing. Like how can a hockey player still play with a wrist injury? Well, a really fit hockey player can use other body parts to help. If he strengthens his shoulder, he strengthens his torso even, a lot of that slap shot, a lot of his stick handling can come from the upper part of his arm, right? So you don't have to really use, it doesn't have to be all in your hands. It can be up in your shoulder as well. So there's probably, they're probably helping him retrain and use his shoulder muscles, his core muscles, maybe his elbow and other muscles to help regain for the strength that he lost. The wrist. You know, are there team doctors going to be, because it, it seems like to have a star player battling a chronic injury like this, it's surprising that he hasn't missed more time. You know, how careful do you think they're going to be? Because we've spoken before on this show about yeah. these repetitive strain injuries actually turning into something worse. You know, so yeah. how, yeah, how, how close do you think they're monitoring the situation? Oh, they're, I mean, they're, they're likely monitoring. He's just start playing. They're likely monitoring it very close. So, you know, in my opinion, if the player's still playing and he's not, hasn't taken any preventative rest, it's an injury, but it's probably on a lower grade. Right, um, there's lots of grades of injury. We typically, you know, if we're looking at something like a strain or a sprain, we typically grade it from a scale of one to three. Right, one is your typical like, yeah, it hurts, but I can still move through it kind of thing. It's probably what he's going through, um, and they're probably managing it right, right after hockey, right after game, ice, inflammation. Maybe he's getting some injections for pain. Maybe during the game he's being taped to prevent some overuse. Right, um, and, and they're probably managing between lines as well. So there's probably a lot of overmanagement which they need in order to keep them. Play. Well, thankfully for the Toronto Maple Leafs, he continues to play and continues to do a great job. I know Amazing. if I had the same injury that Austin Matthews had, I would probably be sitting in a corner crying. <laughs> That's just who I am. Raj Sapaya, <laughs> as always, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys.
Out of the Park presents Ask Barry Davis. And Ask Barry Davis, Tom, is brought to you by, guess what? I'm, it's going to be brought to you once again by Rexdale Hyundai because, folks, I work at Rexdale Hyundai. I'm your, your official car finder. That's what I am, your official car finder. And we got a great deal going on this uh, month. It's March Madness, Thomas. And our March mm-hmm. Madness includes this really cool Toronto Raptors pack. You get a championship basketball, a banner, a jersey. The one I see on display at the uh, store is Anobi. So we're not talking about like a T-shirt. We're talking about a jersey. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, a cool keychain as well. And uh, with every purchase of a vehicle, you'll walk home with one of these great packs. So there you go. If so you visit a, me. If you want a great automobile, all you got to do yes. is ask Barry Davis. Ah, absolutely. Uh, and you can uh, reach me on Twitter. DM me. My DMs are open. If you uh, are a Facebooker, you can, uh, you know, what do you call that? PM me on Facebook. You can yeah, do that. There you go. DM. Okay. PM. <laughs> All right. So uh, it is Ask Barry Davis time. And uh, you have a question. And we have a, a little video that's going to go along with that question. And I am shot. Well, ask the question first, Tom. Okay. So th- this, this video clip here has been seen an awful lot. And, you know, it, it can be summed up in, in obviously three words, monkey never cramps. Um, so the question comes from, uh, from at Brevet Up, and at Brevet Up wants to know, did you guys set this up in advance? I think I know the answer to that, but I'll let you, okay. I'll, I'll let you give it. But, and, and Well, f- for those like you who are one of maybe only 20 people in all of the world who have never seen this video... Uh, Here's your opportunity. Here yep. I am with Muninori Kawasaki, uh, who was questionable for the game because he had a leg injury. Here we are. How does your leg feel today? Oh, feeling good. So what happened to you? Huh? What happened? Just crap. Just a cramp? Yeah, just crap. So you told me what, what, what can you eat to help you make you feel better? Bananas. Yeah, why, why bananas? Monkeys never craps. Uh, you know, monkey never crap. Because a monkey every day, bananas. Two. So how many did you have today? Three. How about three? Oh, yeah. So you, no, more, no more cramp for you? I need three bananas because a monkey never claps. Perfect. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> uh, There you go. Monkeys never crap, Tom. And uh, how have you never seen that? You I must have, have heard no, of it. No, no, I, I saw that back in the... Listen, you and Muninori had some some pretty epic moments together. <laughs> I miss right? him. Somehow, Tom, we got we to track him down. We got to get him on this show. I'll there learn are Japanese few... if I have to. I want to talk to him. <laughs> there are a few Japanese writers that uh, still follow me on Twitter, so maybe I'll reach out to them and see if they can find him. But getting back to that story, so mm-hmm. was it set up? Partially. A little bit, maybe. In the fact that earlier in the uh, day, I was in the clubhouse before he came out for BP, and I asked him how his, his leg was, and he pretty much said, you know, just a, just a, just a crap, monk, you know, and he talked about the bananas. I said, can we do this outside? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And he came out, and he gave me more gold. So right. there you go. So it was kind of set up, but... The initial time that I asked him, I got that beautiful answer. Yeah. And thankfully, he was able to repeat it. Usually, it's never as good 
so second time around. The second part of the question was there's laughter in the background. Yes. Are you, are, are you allowed to say who that was? I don't remember who it was. Oh. I want to say I want to say Chris Colabella was one of them. <laughs> it would just make sense that yeah. Colabella was one of them. But honestly, I have no rep- recollection at all. At all. <laughs> but I tell you what, uh, you know, I see David Ortiz three, four months later. The, the Red Sox are in town. And right away he comes over to me and he goes, tell me about monkeys never cramping. Right. And he asked me about it because he'd seen the video like it was everywhere. So thank you, Minonori Kawasaki, for my 15 minutes of fame. (laughs) Right. Uh, Coming up, a guy who's had a little bit more than his 15 minutes of fame, including uh, one hell of a day at the plate. How many hits did he get that day, Thomas? Well, it wasn't five. No, it was one more than five. It was six, it was like an RBI baseball game on Nintendo. Like he just he couldn't exactly he couldn't miss. six for six exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frank Catalano. What I was going to say, Chris Colabello. It they sound Chris Colabello, Frank Catalano. Frank will join us next. There's Tom on Barry. Two very easy names to pronounce. This is out of the park. <laughs> And now, In the Dugout with Barry Davis. Joining us from his home in New York is former Toronto Blue Jay, former Texas Ranger. For, Frank, there's too many teams. Do you want to update me on how many we got all together throughout your, your illustrious career? Five, five teams. Wow. Five teams. Yeah, so, so it's Detroit, Texas, Toronto, Milwaukee, and the New York Mets. Wow. Was I mean, you're a New York guy, so was that a special feeling for you? Like, or were you a Yankee fan growing up? Cause I know that you really can't be both right as a kid. You can't be a Yankee and a Met fan. That's correct. So, so I grew up a Yankee fan, always wanted to play uh, for the Yankees. Obviously that didn't happen, but to be able to finish my career in New York, uh, it was awesome. You know, it, it was great to be able to sleep in my own bed, uh, drive to work uh, and come back to my to my home and um, and have my friends and family be able to uh, to come to the games. Didn't last that long. I was only there for a month and a half, uh, but uh, it was nice and and I was happy that uh, I was able to finish it like that. It's uh, you know being able to go home and finish like that. Did you make your home every year in New York? Was it your off season home? Yes, absolutely. So I was born and raised uh, on Long Island in Smithtown. Uh, we were lucky enough to, uh, build a house here and, uh, my wife and I and my kids, we would, you know, after the season, I would always come back, um, to Long Island and, and this is where we've always been. This is, this is home for us. So, um, you know, I love the places that I played in and I loved, um, you know, I, I, I either rented there or bought a home there, but it would only be for the season. And then I'd come back to, uh, to New York. Frank. A lot of players, ex-players that we've had on the show have talked about that during their career, one of the hardest things for them was to maintain a family life and be able to continue their major league career because they're away from home so much. And it wasn't until their career is done that they actually learned how to connect with their family. Was that something that you were able to do maybe that others had struggled with? Because by the sounds of it, you did make your family a priority, even if it meant you know stretches during the offseason. What was that like for you? How hard was that balance? 
Well, it, it was tough. I mean, um, I remember when I came home after, um, after my playing career, uh, I said to my wife, uh, you know, cause, cause, cause I'm the type of guy that I like doing things. I like organizing, cleaning, do, doing things. And, and I have a wife and four girls and, and they kind of ran stuff different when I wasn't home. So I came home and after my first or second day there, I said, all right, guys, tomorrow we're going to clean the garage and then we have to do this and we're going to go in the shed and clean. The shed. And they go, no, 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 we don't do that here. So <laughs> it, it had kind of a, a little bit of a balance. And I had to say, all right, listen, I, we're do I have to do it kind of their way because for eight months out of the year, they're here doing it their way. So, um, it was a little bit different, you know, like even though I was home for four months during the off season, um, I had to kind of get used to the way they did it because that's, that's a long time, you know, not being around your family and uh, not being at your house. Uh, however, like you said, uh, family's always been uh, important to me and a priority. So um, it was, uh, you know, coming back home during the season, during say all-star break, or when we had uh, some days off here or there, um, it, it allowed me to connect with the family, make sure that they were number one in my life and, and that, you know, baseball wasn't totally taking me down uh, the wrong path. Well, obviously as you leave the game, um, you open up an awful lot more time to be with your family, but looking back at your time in the game, if, if you had to pinpoint one thing that you miss the most about it, uh, does something spring to mind? Yeah, for me, it's it's the camaraderie with the guys, you know, being in the clubhouse. And, and Barry can tell you because Barry's been uh, to some of the fantasy camps. I mean, just the guys in there just breaking each other's chops and and just, um, you know, going on the going on the road and being on on, on the planes and, and the buses and, and those good times going out to dinner with the guys. You know, you just you don't get that back. Um, you miss those things. And, uh, you know, of course, the competition on the field, we do miss. But I, I think more it, it's the camaraderie with the guys. Have you been able to – oh, sorry. Barry. No, no, go, Tom. Have you been able to find a substitute or something to – and I, you're still in the game, if I'm not mistaken, you're coaching. Well, um, I was coaching uh, a college team here on Long Island. Mm -hmm. and just recently, uh, due to COVID, uh, they had to shut down – all athletics. So I'm out of a coaching job and uh, I'm waiting patiently and hopefully something will open up here close to home because I really, really loved uh, coaching. Well, Tom touches on the whole competitive thing. And again, this is something that always fascinates me with, with athletes once their playing days are done is how do you feel that need to compete? Because to reach the level you did, you have to have such a high compete level that most of us in the world cannot relate to and when it's done you need to do something uh, Ari Dickey's talked to us about uh, playing pickup basketball in a men's league every week uh, Travis Snyder before he got uh, a minor league deal uh, would, would be cooking and tried to outcook everybody uh, Steve Dullabar was into he started a landscape company and he wanted to outdo everybody's yards so what what were you able to do to fill that void so very competitive guy and um, that is another thing that I miss the most and I'll, you'll never get it back. You'll never get, uh, what we had back, you know, like that, that competitive nature. However, the one thing that I do do, and I take it seriously is I play racquetball, um, at LA fitness. We have a group of guys that go down there and play racquetball and, um, you know, we play serious games. And when I get in there, I want to win and I don't take it easy on anybody. 
Um, and that's kind of my outlet as far as that competitiveness is, is, but I'm never going to get back. And I understand I'm never going to get back what, what it was like to be on a field, um, and, and go against Mariano Rivera in the ninth inning at Yankee stadium. Like that's just, it's an unbelievable high and and an unbelievable rush. And, and I understand I'll never, I'll never have that back. And and I miss that. You know, talking about the rush, uh, if, you know, you've got to look back at your career tomorrow and, and, you know, what's the first memory? What's the best memory? I mean, for me, as a fan, I can all obviously remember that six-hit game. Um, but but when you're looking back at your career, what's the thing that jumps into your head first, your, your best memory? Um, for me, it, it's I have a few of them, and, and I'll list a couple of them. Um, getting to the major leagues, finally making it to the major leagues um, was getting that call. Um, and being able to call my mom and dad and tell them that I made it, it, it was a, a, an unbelievable feeling for me. And then obviously my first major league hit, um, I'll remember that uh, forever. It was at Tiger Stadium and uh, it was an RBI single. My dad was there. He was in the stands to see it. Um, and then some things like the six for six game. I mean, when, when you have special games, uh, they always stand out to you. You always remember them vividly. Uh, and, and that was, a you know, a game that I'll never forget. Frank, this day and age with social media, players can pretty much document everything they do every single day. And if they don't, fans do it. So it's easy to look back maybe 10 years from now for a player and know exactly what happened on what day. Did you do journals? Did you ever keep track of, of days or do you have that kind of a memory where you can just recall things that that you did in certain years? Well, I always kept the book on pitchers. Um and I would list in there, you know, what the uh, what I did, what, what how the pitcher pitched me and, and uh, you know, what to look for next time. So that helped me out with remembering, you know, certain things in certain days. But as a as a baseball player, as an athlete, you remember those good days that you have. You remember them you know, vividly. I remember every single year if somebody says, hey, do you remember when you got a hit off of so and so and won the game? You know, I'll, I know exactly when it was, you know, what year it was, what month it was, uh, the whole situation. So whenever we kind of reminisce about these things, it brings back those memories and, and it's, it's great to, to, uh, to think about those things. It always amazed me about athletes. And, and I used to cover some golf too. And you talk to a golfer after they just played, you know, <laughs> four rounds and they could take you through every single shot they had. And it always blew my mind. And I find baseball players are very much the same. I mean, if you look, if I asked you about that six for six day, you probably have things in your memory where you remember what pitchers you were facing, what pitch you hit for those, the hits that you got. Uh, what is it about athletes that just have an ability to retain things other than, of course, time of day? Because I, I know most ball players have a hard time when you say we're going to do an interview at two o'clock well you were great by the way you were great but <laughs> i've run into this many times <laughs> yeah um i think it's just the focus in order to be at the top of your game you have to you have to be focused um and, and you have to be in the moment and if you're in the moment if you're focused i feel like you're just going to remember things uh and it's funny that you say that about uh, a golfer that remembers every shot um i remember guys asking me saying, Hey, did you ever face this guy? You know, a pitcher we were facing that night. and Maybe I faced him two or three months ago. I could rattle off the whole sequence that he threw me in all three or four. I've had faced him, right? you know, <laughs> no change up. Then he threw me a one, one fastball inside. There's a, 
So it, it, it's funny how we do that. But I think, like I said, when you're focused and, and you care about um, your profession and you care about, you know, being uh, having that advantage uh, and, and having that edge, I think you, you just kind of lock in and remember those things. You know, we touched on pitchers that you faced. Uh, Mariano Rivera came up. Um, with a memory like that, looking back, is there one guy that owned you? Well, there there were more than one guy. <laughs> there was, uh, Pedro Martinez, he owned me like you wouldn't believe. Um, you know, I, I probably faced him 30 times and maybe only got two or three hits. He, he seemed to just he was so good. He kind of could read my body language. Like if if I was looking for a fastball, he would throw me a changeup. And if I was looking for a changeup, he would throw me a fastball. Um, he was just so good at placing the ball where he wanted. And whenever I would take a swing and miss, it would set me up ultimately for, for what, you know, he was going to, he knew exactly what he should throw next. And, and that's what makes him one of the best ever is not only did he have great stuff, but he was so smart on the mound. Frank, you had to not only play mind games with the pitcher, but you're also playing mind games with yourself in some ways. And as you said, you're aware of certain pitchers who owned you. You're aware of certain pitchers who you owned. Now, if you're going up to the plate and you know that you've had great success against a pitcher, your confidence level shoots up. How do you avoid the opposite, the negative of when you go in to face someone that has owned you to not let it get into your head that, oh, crap, I can't get a hit off this guy? Well, it's tough. And if anyone tells you that they don't think about it, they're lying to you. Um, if a guy owns you, uh, you know, you, you hope you show up and your name's not in the lineup. Um, but if you are in the lineup, you, um, you know, you, you try to, what I always did was I would ask other left-handed hitters, um, you know, in, in Toronto, uh, I would always ask Carlos. Um, and there were some other guys, Kosky and some other guys I would go up to and just say, Hey, listen, this guy is giving me a tough time and my approach hasn't been working. What do you do to be successful? And, maybe I can kind of abandon my game plan because it hasn't been working and, and kind of uh, adopt one of those guys game plans. And at least if nothing else, it would make me uh, a little more confident knowing that, Hey, this guy's had success and this is what he does. So let me try that. Um, I know that doing the same thing that I was doing and continuing to not have success wasn't going to work. So I might as well try something different. And, and like I said, sometimes it just helped, helped me a little bit mentally. I love that you talk about mindset and then just kind of sharing those tips between players. Um, your time here in Toronto uh, was a pretty tumultuous time. Um, you know, there were some good years, there were some bad years, there were some questionable uniforms. Um, <laughs> yes. But there were some amazing players too. Um, and you know what? The answer to this question doesn't have to be from Toronto, but was there a player in your career whose perspective helped you a great deal and, and who kind of took you under your their wing and helped you out? Yeah, I had a couple early in my career uh, in Detroit with the Tigers. Bobby Higginson, um, he took me under his wing. And, and again, he was a left-handed hitter. Um, so I, he was somebody that I could go to, uh, to ask questions. What is he looking for in this situation? Um, in Toronto, Carlos Delgado, uh, was a guy that I love talking about. Carlos was another guy that, that kept the book on pitchers like myself. So we could kind of compare notes, you know, before the game, half hour before the game, I'd go over to Carlos's locker and just say, Hey, this is what I've got on this guy. What do you have on him? 
and hopefully it would match up and we can say, okay, this is what we're going to look for tonight. He's going to throw us change-ups in 1-0 counts um, or whatever the case may be. So um, Carlos was is you know such a, a smart guy when it comes to approach at the plate. Uh, so he was a guy for me that I loved uh, talking, talking, hitting with. You know, every time I hear the name Bobby Higginson, I, great player, love the guy, but there's a horrible memory that always comes up, and that is against the Toronto Blue Jays. You are you're know exactly what I'm talking about. Roy Halladay had what would have been just an, a remarkable start to his career, and Higginson ruins his no-hitter with a home run, two outs yeah. in the ninth inning. Um, man, oh, man. And, and it just makes me think of Roy and, and you know, what Doc had to deal with mentally once his career was done. And I had a chance to talk to him just maybe two months before he passed away. And, you know, he seemed like he was looking forward to the future, but, you know, you don't know about people unless you're right inside their circle. Can you, from the outside, can you understand why it is such a struggle for so many athletes uh, once their career is over? And like you said, you had all your kind of ducks in a line and you made sure that you spent time with the family. But can you relate to the struggles mentally that players can have when the career's done? Um, I have a tough time um, relating to that because I've had such a good support system with my family, my mom and my dad and, and my wife and my kids. Um, I do know that a lot of players struggle when they retire. I'm in a group, um, a Facebook group of, of former major league and minor league players. And there's 15, 16,000 people in there. And a lot of the times guys are saying like, what I'm struggling, what, what should I do? And, and it's, it, it surprises me, but you know, some, some guy, you know, a lot of times we're just looked at as baseball players, almost like not uh, humans, just kind of like robots. Superheroes and, and, in some eyes. Right. And when that's taken away, you know, people feel like, oh, man, what's my self-worth now? Everyone loved me as a baseball player. Now I'm not a baseball player. So that must be it. But I do have a tough time um, uh, understanding that um, just because I'm so blessed and fortunate to have um, such a great support system. And, and, you know, family has always come first in my life. My mom and dad raised me the right way and raised me uh, to, to have family first. Um, so I know it is, uh, a, a big issue out there. Uh, and I, obvi and obviously I know, uh, doc dealt with that. And at the time, you know, I don't know if any of us really knew what he was going through. Uh, and it was, it, it's such a shame uh, and such a terrible, uh, thing for, for Roy and for his family. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, it, it might be nice if, if there were, uh, when you are done with your playing career, if there was somewhere that major, you know, maybe, maybe Major League Baseball has a group or something where you can go and, and kind of talk about this to, uh, to kind of ease some of those struggles. It's funny that you bring that up. I, I spent, you know, the better part of three years of my life uh, dealing with severe mental illness. And um, part of that journey, I was I was working. Uh, first, I started going to support groups, and then I got certified as a, as a counselor. And so I started working in these support groups. And people would ask me if there's a type of person that needs a mental health support group, and I said no. There's no commonalities between people, young, old, men, women. The one commonality, the one that you every group had a few, were newly retired people. And, you know, it, it didn't matter what industry they were from. 
but they were people whose lives had changed fundamentally. And, right. and, and yeah, without the support system that, you know, that you're describing, um, what seems like a, a, tra a simple transition for people can be really, really difficult. Um, do you think Major League, does Major League Baseball touch on that transition period at all? Or is it something that they're hands off? Is it when you're done, you're done and good luck? Yeah, I, I mean, maybe, you know, I've been out of the game for about 11 years now. Maybe things have changed. When I was there, I don't remember them ever touching on that. Um, uh, I hope at this point there is something, but I'm not sure about that. I think it would be very, uh, you know, beneficial for a lot of guys. Frank, like you, and this is probably the only athletic thing I have in common with you, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a shorter guy. I'm five foot seven. And I knew that, you know, becoming a baseball player was, was going to be difficult because when you're my size, you have more challenges that taller people don't have. I also looked up to players like Pete Rose and Tony Gwynn. I always loved, uh, you know, the small players. Were there, like, you know, as a kid growing up, were there guys that you looked up to and said, you know what, if he can make it, you know, and he's not six foot two, then I can definitely do it too. Well, for, for me, um, it was... Uh, my favorite player was Don Mattingly. Mm -hmm. Not a huge guy, you know, maybe my size, maybe 5'11". Um, but um, that's one of my role models um, because not only was he a left-handed hitter and, and I would copy his swing, you know, he would change his swing from time to time and I would copy it uh, every time he changed it. But when I would go to Yankee Stadium and watch him, he's, you know, he was always out there signing autographs for the kids uh, doing uh, great things in the community, going to hospitals and to, to see the kids and stuff like that. And um, I just thought he was a, a great guy and a great player. And, um, you know, obviously he had all the talent in the world. He was a great hitter. So maybe this isn't a good um, comparison. But uh, for me, he was a guy that I always looked up to. You mentioned being a left-handed hitter. We always hear about lefty versus lefty and how tough that is for left-handed hitters. Righty versus righty, not so much. I mean, I'm sure it's still easier for a right-handed hitter to face a lefty. But what is it? What is it about being a left-handed batter, standing at the plate with a left-handed pitcher? What adds to that challenge for you? For me, it was lack of um, uh, opportunities, lack of at-bats. You know, a lot of times when you get to the major leagues, they say, oh, lefty against lefty, we're going to pinch hit. Um, and, and get a righty in there. Um, so I feel like in the minor leagues, I felt like I hit lefties pretty good because they didn't, you know, I didn't get pinch hit for it. And, and if a lefty was starting, I was still in the lineup. So, um, you know, a lot of lefties seem to drop down three quarters, don't throw over the top. The lefties that throw right over the top were easier to see. Um, but the lefties that came from the side, they were a little more difficult. It felt like it, it was coming from behind you. But for me, I, I just think it was uh, getting those repetitions. And, you know, there are a lot of guys in the league now that, you know, star players that hit lefties just as, as well as they hit righties. So um, I wish I would have had more of an opportunity to play against lefties. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it wasn't meant to be. What we don't see a lot of anymore, Frank, are, are the guys that are, are spray hitters, guys that hit 300, that will take pitches you know, and go the other way. It's all about, you know, the big prize, about hitting the big home run, about pulling the ball. We see these unbelievable exaggerated shifts, which just make me shake my head. Um, is this something that you think that needs to start back again in the grassroots and start teaching kids 
that it's not just home runs. It's not just about pulling the ball and, you know, your your rate of whatever they call it now with the saber metrics, right? Like, do guys just need to go back to going with pitches? And, and if it means going the other way, you go the other way. And it means you get a single instead of a home run, then so be it. That's what I think. I mean, I don't like the way the game's being played nowadays. Um, I loved it when when you and I were growing up, uh, you know, the, the way that guys would hit and, the you know, there was bunting, there was hitting the other way, there was um, uh, hit and runs, hit behind the runner. Um, it, it seems like nowadays the game isn't as exciting because it's either a strikeout or a home run. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't I don't enjoy watching it like I used to. Uh, and, and I think it would be great if we can get back to trying to make contact putting the ball in play, making the defense make uh, make a play on you. And, and uh, I think eventually we will because, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think Major League Baseball looks good lately with with how, um, you know, you check out some of these stats and the strikeouts are way up. I understand the home runs are up, but, you know, I, for me, that's not the way, uh, you know, I was taught to play the game and I, and I don't like uh, really watching it. As a left-handed hitter, if you were to step up to the plate and you saw the entire infield over on the right side of the diamond, rather than going, oh, crap, I've got nowhere to hit the ball, would you be salivating and going, oh, my God, what are they doing? They've given me the whole diamond to hit the ball. Barry, I say I say that all the time. I watch the game, and I'm just like, why wouldn't they just try to hit the ball the other way? If you hit the ball you know, to left field or down the line, it's, a, it's an easy double. All you have to do, even if you bunt, I mean, it's a free hit. Uh, but these guys, they don't want to change, you know, the way they hit. They think, hey, you know, if I hit the ball in the air, I can hit it out of the ballpark. Uh, instead of, you know, my thought would be, oh, right, there's four guys on the right side of the infield. Uh, I'm not going to get it by them. Why not just try to hit the ball the other way? I, I don't know why the game has changed so much like that. Is there a part of it you think that's driven by, because, you know, you, the specialization in baseball and that hyper-focus on launch angle and, and bat speed, swing speed, but the same thing's happening with pitchers as well, you know, with spin rate and with velocity and velocity is going, you know, through the, through the roof over the last 10 years. Do you think that that's driving the change in approach in batters rather than just specialized swings that it's actually them trying to kind of accommodate the faster pitches coming? No, I, I honestly, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I think that, you know, whether a guy's throwing 93 or whether he's throwing 100, um, I would have the same approach. Uh, and uh, I, I think right now we're too focused um, on all these different numbers and saber metrics and, you know, uh, instead of the way baseball was for 150 years and now all of a sudden they're trying to rewrite the game and try to change things up uh, i don't know it doesn't make much sense to me but like i said i think it will come back uh, and and i hope it will come back to our four out of the park insiders we've invited on we'll be bringing you on in just a second if you have a question for frank uh get it ready if you don't have one think of one because this is your opportunity to talk to frank uh in just a couple of minutes uh cat you talk like you could be a manager was that ever anything? Is it something that somewhere deep in your mind you're thinking maybe one day I'd, I'd like to put the uniform back on and actually manage a, a major league team? Maybe. Uh, once my girls are old enough and they're out of the house, um, I may want to do that. And, and the only reason I say that is because 
Um, I, and I didn't realize that I would love coaching as much as I did coaching the college team. Um, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to take the job and I said, you know what, I'll give it a try. And I absolutely loved it. And I felt like I had a lot of uh, knowledge and a lot of information to share with these kids and not only the mechanics of the game, the mechanics of hitting and fielding, but more the mental part of the game. I was able to tell these kids, you know, that were 18, 19 years old, stuff that I learned at the major league level. So they were learning it uh, at a young age. Um, and I, and I really fell in love with it. I loved, uh, managing the game and trying to figure out when to hit and run and when to steal and when to bunt. And, and so absolutely. I, I feel like at some point here in the next few years, I will, I'd probably like to get back into, uh, you know, uh, professional baseball. All right. Well, Frank, I tell you what, uh, you live in a home and you're surrounded by uh, women. So we're, we figured we would invite a number of them uh, to join us here on the show. <laughs> so we're going to surround you with them again. Uh, we do have one gentleman who's going to join us as well. But uh, joining us, we have Sue, who's going to be with us here. Uh, I'm just going to get everybody else uh, activated so they can join you as well. We have Jody, we have Fiona, and then we have John. And uh, right. for the first time on our show... Frank, we actually have a married couple joining us because John and Sue are married, and uh, but due to COVID, they're they're kind of like you know on separate Zooms here. So I, everybody, say hello to to Frank Calinato, and we'll work our way through. And uh, Sue, let's start with you if you want if you have a question or anything you'd like to say to to Frank. Hi, sure. Hi, Frank. You look great. Thank um, you. Just one or two things. You mentioned your teams you played for, but you also, didn't you play for Team Italy in the World Baseball Classic? I did. What was that like? That was amazing. It, it was so much fun because, the you know, half of the team was kids from Italy and half of the teams, the half of the team was um, Italian-Americans, uh, guys that played in the minor leagues or major leagues. And to be around those kids from Italy was so special. Um, they were so, they're so passionate about the game of baseball and they just wanted to suck up all of our knowledge. Every time myself and either Mike Piazza or Frank Medichino, one of the major league players were just talking, uh, you know, on the bench, a whole bunch of them would start to gather around and just listen to what we were saying. And they always asked us to, uh, to come help them with their hitting and stuff like that. So it was, it was special because, um, of the fact that those guys love the game so much, but it was also great because I got to go to Italy a few times and, um, and, and help instruct over there. Um, I think the world baseball classic is so uh, good for the game. Uh, it's unfortunate that we were, we're not able to have it this year uh, because of COVID, but uh, I look forward to uh, participating uh, in the, in the next one. If I'm not mistaken, Frank, Thank yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, Sue. If I'm not mistaken, you were representing Italy at the World Baseball Classic playing that uh, in Toronto that year, correct? That's right. It was 2009. And, yeah, and, and what an incredible uh, turnout we have because we have such a great uh, Italian community here. What did that yeah. feel like for you? What were your memories of being in Toronto representing Italy and just being surrounded by so many huge Italy fans and, and people from Italy? It, it was awesome uh, because... Uh, I was at the time I was with the uh, Texas Rangers. It was after my time with uh, Toronto uh, mm -hmm. and going back there. I wasn't sure what kind of a, um, you know, uh, turnout there would be. 
Uh, I think we played uh, maybe Puerto Rico or the Dominican, uh, no, Venezuela, the first game. And it was so nice when they announced me, announced my name. Um, there were so many fans there and they were all going crazy. So it was so nice that uh, the Toronto fans showed me, you know, that appreciation, that support. And, uh, you know, all my um, uh, my teammates were, were very impressed, uh, you know, that I got such an ovation. <laughs> All right, uh, Jody, say hello to Frank. Frank, this is Jody. If you have a question, Jody, go for it. For sure. For sure. Hi, Frank. Um, Hi, I actually met you with my son and my best friend a few years ago at Winterfest. Um, so I just remember that. I wanted to say hey. Um, so the little guy is almost 12 now and missing baseball very much with COVID. Um, last night, I told him that the Jays first spring training game is on Sunday and he said mommy close your ears and so I, I did this and then he screamed at the top of his lungs <laughs> I love we it will, we will be watching baseball on Sunday for sure um with that in mind you said you've got four girls um are they playing baseball so uh my oldest is 22 um she w played softball all the way through high school and decided in college uh, she wanted to play vol uh, volleyball instead. She was both a, a softball player and a volleyball player and chose volleyball. Um, my other girls are dancers or volleyball players. So they didn't That's follow awesome. her footsteps or my footsteps, but uh, <laughs> it was fun watching my oldest uh, play softball for so long. What about the other girls? The other girls play, my, well, my 16-year-old uh, is a dancer. Um, and then my 14 year old and 12 year old both play ball. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Tom, did you have something you wanted to add in there? Well, you know, it's going back to the, the previous question about, you know, playing on team Italy in Toronto and, and, and what an amazing experience, but I got to ask for someone from New York playing on team Italy, is there anywhere in Toronto you took those guys out for pizza or did you just <laughs> avoid pizza altogether? <laughs> <laughs> I avoided pizza. You know, I mean, <laughs> listen, I'm I'm kind of uh, a snob when it comes to pizza. I, I love my New York pizza. Don't get me wrong, I got I got some good pizza there uh, in Toronto. But uh, you know, even when we went when I went to Italy, they tried to show off you know how good their pizza was there in Italy, and I didn't like it. I was used to New York pizza, and I was <laughs> like, I. Uh, you know, I placated them and I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. But uh, New York pizza is where it's at. OK, so hopefully a time <laughs> is going to come where we're going to be able to go back to New York City. And I have had tons of pizza in New York, some of it incredible, some of it OK. Uh, I find that some of the cheaper places are some of the best places. But as an expert, Frank, where should we go if we want the best pizza in New York City? Where do we go? Mm. That's a tough one. Um, there's a place called Rocco's Pizza that I like a lot. Um, you know, I don't go into New York City a lot. I'm about an hour and 15 minutes away. So um, I've most of my good pizza places are on Long Island. But um, I know Rocco's in the city is one of my favorites. All right. Everybody notate that. Rocco's. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him Frank sent you. <laughs> All right, uh, Fiona, say hello to Frank, and uh, now's your chance. If you, oh, I gotta unmute you. I just noticed that you're still muted. 
So let's go there. There you go. There we go. Fiona, say hello to Frank. Hi, Frank. It's nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, you've probably maybe answered this question already a little bit, but I'm wondering of the five teams you played for, which team has the best fans? Oh, mm. Come on, Toronto, of course, right? Uh, <laughs> I will, this is what I'll say. Um, Toronto fans are, are the best fans when they are there. Um, you know, obviously, Toronto's more of a hockey city and go cra they go crazy for hockey. Um, obviously, we saw recently in, what, five years ago, six years ago, um, when, when Toronto was in the playoffs, I mean, the fans were amazing. Um, and everyone that has play, played in the, uh, on the World Series team told me that there were no fans in baseball better than the Toronto Blue Jay fans. Um, so there were days that, let's say, when I played, when the Yankees would come to town or the Red Sox, and that place got very loud and the fans were amazing. That being said, the years that I played in Toronto, we weren't that great of a team. So I didn't get to see it as much. And when I played, to answer your question, I felt like the Texas Ranger fans uh, were the best that I, um, that I played for. They were just, they were very knowledgeable. And, um, uh, you know, they came out every single night. And that's the only that's the only issue I had with the Blue Jay fans is a lot of times if um, the Maple Leafs were playing the same night that we were playing, they would be elsewhere. You know, they would be at the hockey game. And, and that's starting to change. And I think 2015 and 2016 really helped with that. And we've got a whole new generation of fans and and all of you guys that are on the line. And, you know, I know Susan and John, you're both season ticket holders. Fiona, uh, Jody, I know you guys go to a lot of games. I've noticed that the crowds have gotten younger over the last several years, which is really nice to see. And you're right, Frank, during the 15 and 16 season, the place was absolutely electric. But I do recall in the years that you were there, and I don't, not, not you specifically, but I remember players, you know, coming off the field and just looking around going, it is so dead in here. It's so quiet in here. And, and it, it, it was, there wasn't yeah. a lot to cheer for them, but it was so quiet. And it's tough when you're a baseball fan in Toronto and you see, you know, the Maple Leafs in last place and still packing them in and people are still wanting to see them. Uh, hopefully that changes and, and, and baseball starts to become, and I think it has, right? I think over time, um, you know, the loyal fans are there. But, I mean, even, you know, back in 20, you know, 2018, 2019, those crowds were getting really small again. Sue, I know you got your season ticket. I've seen you sitting. I'd be watching on TV, and there's Sue all by herself in her little corner <laughs> because there weren't a lot of fans there, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. All right, Fiona, thank you very much. Last but not least, uh, I'm going to get uh, John. We get unmute your microphone here so we can hear you. And uh, John is not only a season ticket holder, but he also uh, does a lot of work with the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. And, John, I'm going to uh, recommend right now that uh, – we get a nomination for Frank Catalanato into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Frank, I'm wondering, do you ever go to live baseball now, Major League Baseball? And if you do, what's it like as a as a former player watching the game? So, so I do. Every now and then I'll go to a Met game or a Yankee game, uh, maybe one or two uh, a season. Um, and it's... 
you know, I always seem ever since I was became a professional baseball player, I watch games differently. I'm I don't just sit in the stands and just try to take in a game and enjoy it. I'm watching like all the different intricacies, like if the pitcher is tipping his pitches and, you know, I'm trying to think ahead and say, okay, I think in this situation, he's going to throw him this pitch or, or, you know, maybe they should bunt in this situation. And so I'm almost kind of playing manager, but also playing like, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of scouting the game and and trying to figure out, um, you know, and, and that's just me. That's what I used to do as a player, right? I used to try to get an edge and figure out what's going to happen next. Um, so sometimes by the end of the game, I'm exhausted, you know, cause I'm thinking so much. <laughs> it's so funny you say that. And, and Tom, you can attest to this. I mean, Tom and I are both musicians as well. And it's hard for us to listen to music and just simply enjoy it for being a wonderful song. We're always right. hearing, okay, what is the bass doing right now? And, and, you know, what tempo is this song and what time signature and, and what did they do here? It's the same kind of idea. Do you sometimes wish that you could just watch a game as a fan, Frank, and just say, screw it all. I, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to yell at the umpire. I'm going to get pissed off if, if the right fielder, you know, makes an error because this is my team. Are you able to do that at all? Not able to do that. I wish I could. But, but you know, I, what I do love doing is um, I'm a big New York Islander fan. So that's what when I can sit down, relax, yell at the TV and, and kind of enjoy it. Um, but yeah, with baseball, I, I just can't seem to get out of that uh, that situation of just that pl- being a player instead of being a fan. You know what you are, Frank? You're a lifer. That's what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. John, you had a follow-up? Yeah, Frank, um, I don't know whether this is accurate, but as a retired Major League Baseball player, do you get a gold card or a pass card that you can go to uh, any stadium and get admittance? Yes. So um, I think once you have five or ten years of Major League service, they give you that, um, that card, that gold card. Problem is, I think it only allows you in so how many times you just go to a game by yourself right you usually want to go with people and if you go with them you want to sit next to them so um i don't think i've taken advantage of it uh, yet and i don't know if i will but yes they do give us that card okay you know Thank it's, you. It's, especially in new york you know you you deal with sellouts there quite a bit so if you walk up with your gold card do they kick somebody out <laughs> <laughs> no there's no, no such thing as a full sellout I've been told that if you walk up with your card and it's a sellout, they put you way in the upper deck. Oh. Like we don't get special treatment. We're not sitting in the first row. Is it, uh, especially in New York, Frank, are you able to, to be incognito at all, especially if you're at a ball game or are you going to get stopped by people? And do you, do you, do you like being recognized? Because there's a time, I think once you're away from the game for a certain amount of time, now all of a sudden you start missing it. You're missing people come up and go, yo, Frank, yo, Hey, can I get a picture? <laughs> Absolutely. You're right. You're right. You know, like back in the day when you get recognized all the time walking around Toronto or Texas, wherever you be, sometimes, you know, uh, it it wasn't as great as you thought it would be. And now I'm wishing that I got noticed more often. Um, (laughs) You know, New York, I don't get noticed as often because obviously I didn't play here as a player for a long time. If I'm in Texas or Toronto, um, uh, sometimes I'll get noticed walking around the streets. 
Um, so, but yeah, but, but, but we miss after we retire, we missed that, uh, that attention. Uh, any of you else have anything you'd like to add or want to ask Frank before we say farewell? <laughs> Everybody's good. Tom, you've got anything? Well, you know what you brought up, you were, you were talking about your daughters playing earlier, uh, playing volleyball and doing dancing. Um, something that we asked a lot of players, actually, is there any other sport that you might've ended up playing or have you always just been a baseball guy? So I played every sport growing up. I played basketball, soccer, hockey, and, um, and baseball. Hockey was always my favorite sport. Thing was, I wasn't a great skater. And, and, I, and I know in Toronto, everyone plays ice hockey there. We played roller hockey and deck hockey, so on our feet. So I was really good at that. It was always my favorite sport. I loved it. But, um, again, in order to, to move on in hockey, you've got to be able to skate and uh, ice skate. <laughs> And, you know, that was a little bit of a problem for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> thankfully, uh, baseball was not a problem for you, Frank. Uh, we all loved your time with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, wish you nothing but the best of success uh, moving forward. Thank you so much for taking some time and, and interacting uh, with, uh, with our insiders here. Again, uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. And hopefully we'll see you in a uniform again one day. I'd love to see you uh, pulling a pitcher from a game. That would be great. Thank, thanks. <laughs> There is Frank Catalanato, and I'm going to make a a, a little uh, admission here, Thomas. Okay. I asked him in the conversation about uh, not being, you know, a taller guy in the game. For some reason, I always thought that he was like Marcus Stroman height, like five eight, maybe five nine. Yeah. But he told us he's five eleven, which is very close to six feet tall. So he's actually taller than I thought he was. I just always imagined him as as a shorter dude. Well, you know what? I, I guess for for someone like yourself, Barry, that you know you kind of tend to put the whole world into two categories. You know, all the people that are taller than you, and the couple that you find that are shorter. Yes. So, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, coming up on next week's show, as we mentioned, former Toronto Blue Jays GM, former LA Dodgers sort of GM, and now the current GM of the Atlanta Braves, Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, we get into a lot of really cool conversations, everything from uh, his previous career that never was, which is very common to something you and I enjoy, yep. and that's all we're going to say, including some video that you will see, folks, that will blow your mind. If you have, And honestly, Tom, when I last checked the number of views of it, it's not very many, meaning a lot of people have never seen this. So yep. we're going to show them this. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about his exit from Toronto and uh, maybe some of the truth as to what actually went down and uh, why he made the deals he made. And also, uh, he interacts with, I believe, five or six, six. of our yep. OTP insiders. So we yep. every week we're increasing the number that we're allowing in this Zoom room. If you want to be a part of this, if you want to interact, and we've got Jason Fraser we're going to be talking to this coming Friday. And we're also, at some point over the next week or two, we've got Devin Travis. Mm -hmm. So every week we're going to have someone who is either a current Blue Jay, which is a little harder now than it used to be because of COVID and what's going on, or uh, a former Blue Jay. And it'll give you an opportunity to get into the Zoom with these guys and ask questions. Yep. Where else can you do that, Tom? Yeah, it's, it's and, and every week as we're figuring out how to facilitate these conversations, 
And and yes. let's face it, like our insiders, the, the people that have been sitting on them, they've been doing a lot of the heavy lifting for us. They've been rolling oh, they've with been the great. punches. They've been asking yes. better questions than we do. All uh, the time. This week with, with Alex, same thing. And yeah. um, it's it's something that I know that people are really, really enjoying. And, you know, for you guys out there that, that haven't got in on one of these yet, you know, jump on in. The water's warm. And, and we're having an awful lot of fun on these interviews. We are. So. How can people get involved in this, Thomas? Patreon.com. Yeah. Patreon.com slash out of the park. And, yes. you know, for a cup of coffee a month, you can mm-hmm. sit in and talk and ask the hard questions. Exactly. So, yep. All right, Thomas, uh, as always, it is a pleasure. And, uh, you know, yes, you may have uh, a few inches on me maybe about a foot on me, but at least I, in my life, have never had to duck. And I, you cannot say the same. So there you go. On you. Thank you very much, folks, for listening and watching and making us a part of your week. You've been listening to Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Thanks for joining us. Get home safely and see you next time.